0: So good morning. I want to in- introduce my friend Molly Heyer. Molly, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself and your family and how long have you been in Dubuque and connected to Hope?
1: Um, well, we lived in Dubuque for about two and a half years and been attending Hope for the majority of that time, um, my husband and I, and we have two young children who keep me pretty busy.
0: Okay. And you attend the UD campus, correct? Because apparently I just saw you up there making a pitch for the Rochick building.
1: Yes, uh, we do attend the university campus, although we started here at the Kennedy campus, okay. and we loved it here. That yeah. was great, but um, we just felt the call that we were supposed to go there. We live so much closer, and most of our small group Bible study went there, and so we decided to make a commitment to the university campus.
0: And how do you like the UD campus? I mean, what is it that you like about that campus?
1: Um, I love that it's I'm, – I'm usually a, was a big campus-type person, so it, it's a smaller setting, but I really love now that I see the same people every Sunday, and if someone's not there, I'm like, oh, I wonder where they're at, or I wonder how they're doing, and um, just the community that we have as a smaller campus has been really nice.
0: Right. So, wh- what are some of the things that you are in your family are involved in at the UD campus?
1: Um, I help out on Sundays with the uh, K-5 Children's Ministry, and my husband works with the um, nursery and preschool room, and then he also helps um, load, pick up the, drive the truck over and set up and then tear down and bring it back.
0: All right, let's let's just talk about that for a minute because I think one of the things that folks don't understand from the Kennedy campus is that we rent the space for roughly three to four hours a Sunday. And it has to be set up and torn down and talk a little bit about that process.
1: Um, Well, I personally haven't had the pleasure of picking up the trailer and unloading it. But I know that somebody does it every Sunday, has to drive out here, pick up the trailer, drive it back to the university Campus, and then everything gets unloaded, including all of our sound equipment, um, the children's to- toys for the children's room, everything that we need for to do ministry, like you do here, essentially, and then um, it all gets torn down and loaded back in the trailer and comes back here every Sunday.
0: So. Yeah, I know. Carol was my wife. Carol was over there this morning early because she wanted to set a table up for the women's conference, and she said that she didn't want to bother everybody because they were they were busy moving and setting things up, and it that takes a little bit, and then. When it's over, it's all got to go back into the trailer, right?
1: That's correct. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so this is, you know, anybody who is renting a space uh, will tell you this is a grind every week to have to do that. It's a lot of work to set up and tear down. Where we here, everything's set up. We don't have to put things in the seat pockets or Bibles in the chairs. We don't have to set the nurseries up. Uh, it's all set up for us, and it makes it much easier. So. Uh, that is a, a big area of uh, ministry to have somebody to would be willing to come in early, set up, and then wait afterwards, and then clean up after everyone's gone. So that is a grind. So tell me a little bit about how you feel about the, the idea of moving from the. We started in in the mind frame theater, and uh, that was a great start for us, and uh, the kids. Enjoyed it because there was extra popcorn and stuff on the floor that they could eat. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> Though they were a little stickier when they came back. <laughs> you weren't part of that experience. No, right? I unfortunately yeah. never got yeah. that experience. Good for you. <laughs> uh, then we moved to the, the, to the uh, university campus, and now we're talking about going to the Roshek building. Tell me your thoughts and feelings about that move.
1: Um, well, I'm definitely excited about having a permanent church home. Um, there's so many little things that you don't think about here. Like you said, the setup is one, but also, like, temperature control will be something that will be nice because right now we don't have control of the temperature in right. the, the worship area. Um, and then just the be able, the ministries will be able to do there versus the university campus It's because we're limited to just Sunday mornings when we have the facility. Any kind of midweek get-together that we wanted to do or ministry, like I know you have here, we're unable to do or we're limited to if someone wants to host it in their home and then you have, yeah. you know, space issues and that right. kind of thing.
0: Right. So we have a MOPS ministry that there's over 100 uh, families that are part of the MOPS ministry here. You could never do a ministry like that uh, currently at that, that campus uh, because, number one, we don't have it seven days a week. Number two, you, where are you going to find a home where you could grow a ministry like that? So it's not. The other thing with the heating and cooling It's kind of interesting is I've been there, and I remember coming one time and it was like, it was either really hot or freezing cold. And I'm going, why is it so... What, where's the, And apparently the thermostat's in some boiler room in some other building that, you, you know, somebody bumps it with a broom and it's either freezing cold or, or scalding hot. It's not that bad. but um, So talk to me a little bit about wh- why should the folks that come to this campus, because they may have the mindset, and again, I'm not saying you do, but you may, uh... I come here and I like this campus. I'm not really interested in going to the Roshick building. I'm not really interested in going to UD. Why should they care about the move from uh, UD to Rorschach?
1: Um Well, first of all, I know you said that, and you've mentioned before, that we are either nearing or at capacity um, on you know, any given Sunday here at the Kennedy campus. So um, space is an issue if we want to be able to continue if you if we want to be able to continue worshiping here, like we're going to need room for growth. And while the university campus has been a good temporary solution to that, even right. the capacity there is limited, and we can't do so many other things that we can do here. Um, so that's the main thing, obviously. But then also um, I feel like we're part of a church family. Um, whether or not um, I go to the Kennedy campus, or I go to the university campus and you go to the Kennedy campus, we're all part of Hope right. Church, as and we all share Hope's vision of connecting other people with God.
0: Right. So that gives us more of a capacity. And and, and the good thing is it will give us an opportunity, I think, too, to do multiple ministries during the week. Um, Right now we can't do a kids' club during the week. We can't do anything uh, there. Uh, So we're limited. And, and, And people have to come to this campus. nothing wrong with that. But it would give us an opportunity to do multiple ministries and maybe ministries that are tailored for that community. Molly, I know you're you're excited about it because when we had the open houses, you were there helping to host them, and I appreciate that, and I also appreciate you taking time to come over to our campus and share uh, your heart with us, and this is somebody from the UD campus that is saying to you, uh, would you please seriously consider helping so that we can make that move there, and Molly, thank you for coming today and for being part of our service and sharing uh, the vision of Hope Church with us. Thank you, man. Yeah. Give her a hand. So uh, that's actually not the strongest way to start a message. (laughs) Thinking back to my first uh, preaching classes... Public speaking classes, and they say, your first line is the most important one well, folks I don't have the first line so I just blundered um, I've been trying to this month share with you this concept that we have a God who is incredibly generous, more generous than we could ever dream of, and that if we're real if we belong to him and if our heart beats in tune with his, then it would make sense that we would be generous. As He's forgiving, we should become more forgiving. As He's loving, we should be more loving. As He's sacrificial, we should be more sacrificial. As He's generous, we should be more generous. Just It makes sense. And, and I said a couple of weeks ago, I said the greatest motivation for us to be generous is that He is generous. And when we begin to reflect upon His generosity towards us, that it's it, it, it bound to make a difference and help our hearts to become more generous. Last weekend, I talked about the idea that, unless, you know, good intentions are great, but good intentions don't get you anywhere. You have to have a plan. You have to have a way to accomplish what you intend to do. And so I said, make it part of your daily behavior. Uh, make it part of your, a pattern of how you, you know, if you've already got certain things going on in life, just connect it with those and you'll be more successful. This weekend, I want to talk about this idea of that money has a power that we may not even see. In fact, I would be honest, I, I think I could be so bold as to say that many of us are struggling with the power of money and we don't even know it. It has a, a hold on us, it has a pull on us that we would never uh, we would never even understand uh, unless it was pointed out. Now, I've made a statement the last couple of weeks and I'm not sure you agree with me. So the first thing I'm going to try to do is try to convince you with evidence that you are rich. That you are rich. So here's a few things that will help you, convince you, I hope, that you are rich. Number one, there are three billion people in the world today that live on less than $2 per day. Three billion. 1.3 billion of them live on less than $1 a day. Okay? Okay. Now, I, I threw a figure out, and I, wasn't sh- I, mean, I was pretty sure I was close, and, and, I, and I went and I did a little more research. And I just want you to think through this, because I said that if you make twenty or $30,000, you are in the top 5%. Well, here's the statistics. If you make $20,000 a year, you're in the top 11% of the richest people. I mean, you're the top 11% of people In the world, you make more than almost 90% of the people on this planet if you make $20,000 a year. If you make $30,000, you're now in the top 7%. That means you make more than 93% of the people in the world. If you make $40,000 a year, you are in the top 97 percentile. In other words, you make more than 97% of the people in the world You make more than they do. If you are $50,000 a year or more, you are in the 0.98 percentile. In other words, 99% of the world makes less than you. Okay? You're rich. (laughs) Okay? It it all just depends on who you compare yourself to. Now, that's just... uh, In fact... The bottom 5% of people in America in the economic scale, the bottom 5% are richer than 68% of the rest of the world. So they're even in the top half. Um, 1.1 billion people in developing countries have inadequate water, uh, access to water, and 2.6 billion lack basic sanitation. So it's not just how much money you have, it's that you have good water, clean water, and and sanitation and sanitation leads to a tremendous amount of death, and according to UNICEF twenty two thousand children die each day due to poverty, and one point eight million children die, die each year as a result of diarrhea, which is because of uh, you know, unclean water and the uh, sanitation conditions. Now, we often take credit for what we 've done we say well i, I In in, in this economic status, because I buckled down, I went to work, I did my studies, I worked hard, uh, I'm an entrepreneur, whatever. And and yes, absolutely, not take away from that. But I would just say this, but you had no control, you had no call, you had no weight on where you would be born and when you would be born. What if you were born at a different time? What if you were born in a different place? Instead of being born in America today, what if you were born in China? Or what if you were born in, in 1348 in Europe when the Black Death broke out and 66% of the population died because of the Black Death? You see, we take credit for things that we don't have any control over, and, and in a sense, we are, you are here today and you are doing the way you are right now in comparison to the rest of the world because God placed you in this country which is very prosperous. And, and here's my point. You had nothing to do with when and where you were born. And I don't cite these statistics and I don't make this argument so you'll sit there and feel guilty. That is absolutely not my motivation. And frankly, it doesn't really work anyway. I just think that we ought to have a different perspective and we ought to understand how blessed we are to be alive in America today. That we have an incredible opportunity to use our wealth to bless others. And I'm just going to throw it out there that I think that we generally spend more on ourselves than we do on others. Now, as I stated last weekend... We don't we most of us don't consider ourselves rich, but we generally consider ourselves generous. I think we're wrong on both of those. I think we are rich more than we think. And and the problem is that we're trying to compare ourselves to somebody who's richer than us. And that's the wrong comparison. We ought to say compared to the rest of the world, I'm rich. Right. And we think we're more generous than we are. I think we assume that we're more generous than we really are. If it was really played out, we would find we're not quite as generous as we think we are. And I think that's the point. I think we're blind to what money can do to control us. And I believe that's why one of the reasons Jesus spoke so much about money. The Bible has a lot to say about money. It is an important topic. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, it combined, there are over 800 verses on the subject. And they address such topics as planning and budgeting, savings and investing, uh, to debt and tithing. The Bible devotes twice as many verses to money as to faith and prayer. It talks more about uh, money than it does faith and prayer. Jesus devoted 25% of His words in the Gospels to the resources that God has entrusted to our stewardship. That includes 28 passages in the Gospel that He's talking about stewardship, that we are to be good stewards. 25%. Jesus talked more about uh, money than He did heaven and hell combined. And He had a lot to say about heaven and hell. Okay? So this weekend, we want to look at a passage from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus speaks about this this blind spot we have. And so, Matthew chapter 6, I want to look at verse 19, and Jesus says some really important things here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moth and rut, moth eats them, and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is. There the desires of your heart will be also. Now let's just stop there. That would be a verse, if in, and it is. In my Bible, I underlined it. Because what Jesus is saying there cuts right to it. He basically says, there's a couple of times where Jesus says, your heart is showing. One of the times He says, when you talk, your heart is showing. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So at any moment, your heart, whether it's worried, whether it's angry, whether it's proud, it is speaking it is revealing your heart. Your heart is being revealed. Have you ever seen somebody from a distance as, wow, they're a very attractive, handsome, pretty, whatever, throw whatever descriptor in, beautiful person, and then you 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 hear them talk and you go, man, I wish I hadn't heard a word you said, because you're no longer pretty anymore. You are now pretty ugly, right? And it's because you now have heard their heart. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, man mouth speaks. He also says where your treasure is, there your heart is. See, your heart is showing. That's essentially what he's saying. So he goes on to say, this is where this passage gets just a little confusion. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you, th- you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate one and love the other. You will either be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So from this passage, we want to draw like three principles and and talk about what does this, what does this passage have to do with us this morning and the power and the pull of money. The first one is, with money we can either spend it or we can store it. Uh, we can spend it, we can spend all of what God has allotted on us, uh, you know, God has given us a lot and we could spend it all on ourselves or we could store it for eternity and and invest it in the lives of others. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Now stop and let that sink in for a minute. What Jesus is essentially saying here is your heart is showing. At any moment, your heart is showing in this area. And he's also saying you have a blind spot. Now I want to jump to another passage because there was a man who had this blind spot, and Jesus that basically points it out to him, and he very clearly points it out, and it's found in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Let me read you that passage. A rich young man. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Someone came to Jesus with this question: "Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life?" Why do you ask about what is good? Jesus replied, "There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life," keep the commandments. Which one, the man asked. Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I've obeyed those commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, He went away very sad, for he had many possessions. Now, I just want to stop and just say this. Before you go and say, well, you know, the problem that people have with money is uh, you have to have a lot of money to have a problem with money. No, you you don't have to have a a lot of money. You don't have to be rich to have a problem with money. You can be poor and have a problem with money. It's not how much money you have. Um, And that's why exposing the blind spot is so critical. If we're going to use money rather than be used of money, we have to understand that we are being used by it rather than we are using it, we are controlling it. But here's the first question we must ask. And and this will help to expose the blind spot. The question Jesus asks this man is very relevant. He says, where is your treasure? What really is your treasure? Will you follow me or not? And so, here's a few things that will help you. What are you really trusting in? What gives you security? Today, what is it that you say, this makes me feel secure? Maybe it's a relationship I have with a, this person. Maybe it's that I have a, a little bit of money set aside. And n- listen, I'm not giving you a model today as to what you should do with your money in a sense of giving it all away or, 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 I, or, or setting some aside for retirement. Or That's not my point. My point is, what is the ultimate source of your security? What do you feel secure? Is it because you have money in the bank that you feel secure? And, and y- you know, the bottom line is that could be gone tomorrow. In a, in a whiff, it could be gone. What makes you feel significant? Some people say, well, I feel good because I drive this car or I live in this neighborhood or I have this status in the community because I have money, I have power, I have this status. And I feel good about that, right? Or where do you find satisfaction in life? You say, well, you know, I have to have this. I, I must eat here. I must do this. I must live to this standard. Or I won't be satisfied. Or when I get to this standard, then I will be satisfied. And I just want to tell you, we talked about Tom Brady last weekend where he had arrived. I mean, you know, a num- number of Super Bowl uh, rings. He A model, uh, you know, wife, a supermodel wife. Uh, more money than he could probably spend in a lifetime, and he looked at the camera and he said, I just feel like something's missing. Secondly, we can remain blind or we can see. And this is where we get to that one passage because Jesus says, He talks about this money, and then He says, You know, if you have light, you can see, but if you don't have light, even if you have light, you won't be able to see you say, what in the world is he talking about here? It's, it's kind of confusing. And, and if you look at, uh, it, you know, there's a parallel passage in Luke 11 and 12 that, where Jesus talks about these same similar things in a little different order. But essentially what Jesus is saying is similar to what uh, the passage we read. And essentially what he's saying here is this. He starts talking about, first he talks about money, then he talks about this eye and light and all this stuff. Then he, then he goes and talk back talking about money. Well, in the Luke account, he basically uses the same illustration. And then he says, kind of out of the blue, he says in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured in how much you own. Now, we have a modern word for greed. We don't walk around and say, well, that's a person's greedy." Maybe we do. But, you know, we would say they're material, materialistic. There's materialism. And here's what I think he's saying. This is what I think Jesus is saying with the eyes and the light and all that stuff. He's saying, if your eyes work, you'll be able to use the light to see. If your eyes are working, you'll be able to see properly. But if, if your eyes are bad, it doesn't really matter how much light you have. You'll never see, right? So a blind person, doesn't matter whether there's lights on in the room or not. They can't see. And what Jesus is saying is, there is something about money... That no matter if if you're blind to it, it doesn't matter. You're never going to see it. So you need help. You need somebody else to show you your own blindness. And and essentially that's what he's saying. It doesn't matter how much light you have when you're blind. And so, some of you, the Bible says that when we all of us actually we were born spiritually blind, and then one day God opened our hearts up, right? And all of a sudden we start looking at the Bible, we go. Don't worry, it's just a pen. Um, you, you started looking at the Bible and you said, I never saw that before. Where was this? I've actually sat in Bible studies with people who have come to Christ and they go, they, they become angry with their churches that they went to and they say, how come they never taught me this? How come they never showed me this? I went to church every, every week and I never saw this. They never taught this. And I said, I think they probably did, but I think you were blind. And when God opened your with me, it was like, whoa, I never saw this before. Where was this? I went to church every week. <laughs> and what Jesus is saying is Say the same is true about money. There's a blind spot that we have, and we have to find a way to expose it. And he's saying that we're prone to greed. Today, we call it materialism. And materialism or greed is a powerful desire and a dependence on money and possessions. It's a desire for, for those things, and it's a dependence on those things. It's saying, I must have them, and when I have them, uh, I will feel good about who I am, or I will feel safe, or I will be uh, you know, secure, whatever it is. We, we find it in those things. And Jesus is simply saying, we have a blind spot when it comes to our own greed and materialism. We can't see how it destroys us. And if I were to ask you right now it, to raise your hands, how many of you don't do it? How many of you think you're greedy? Who would want to answer that, anyways? I mean, I may as well say, how many of you lust regularly? You know, I, nobody wants to answer that. And frankly, when people come into my office, sometimes they'll say, "Pastor, I struggle with anger, or I struggle with pride, or I struggle with greed, or with uh, with lust, or something." But I've never had anybody come in and say, you know, I'm just really greedy. I am so greedy, I just don't know what to do. And, you know, it's it, there's, there's a lot of other sins that you know in your heart you're doing it. Like, you know when you're lying, right? You know when you're stealing. Now, it's pretty apparent you know that, right? You kind of know when you're being a little haughty, a little proud, right? Some of us do, right? It's like... And you know when you're committing adultery. I love what Tim Keller says. Adultery is one of those sins you know when you're committing it. You don't wake up one day and go, whoa, you're not my wife. You know, it's like, yeah, you are. You know, It's one of those sins that is pretty apparent. But greed is one of those sins that's like hidden. It's hard for you to see it. And I think what Jesus is saying is that it's something that you have to have somebody else point out in your life. Now, for many of us, money has a power that's keeping us from asking ourselves the hard questions. Now, when I was a kid, I used to watch a show called Hogan's Heroes. Now, oh, there's a whole bunch of you going. Hogan's what? Okay, I'll give you the synopsis of the show. It was a basically a half an hour show about uh, American, and there were a couple. Of, there was a French uh, person and a couple other people, but they were prisoners of war in Germany, and they were in a prison camp. And uh, the they basically it was a, like a resort. <laughs> Basically, below the the cabin, they had tunnels, and they had wine and cheese, and they were bringing people in and out, and weapons, and all this other stuff. It was going on under the nose of the the the, the stupid Germans, you know. And if you're German, I'm not making a statement. I'm just this is the way it was depicted on the show, okay? And every week, Hogan's Heroes would would do something. They would get somebody out, and and they had Klink, who was over the 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 uh, camp. And he was a, a, a numbskull. He didn't really know what was going on. And he thought he was very smart. And, that. and then there was Sergeant Schultz. And Schultz would catch them in the act of doing stuff. Like they'd have a weapon and they'd be standing there with a German uniform on. And he knew that it was a prisoner. Or they'd have too many prisoners. You know, like five too many prisoners. And... They would be, He'd catch them over and over and over, and Schultz over and over and over would say, I see nothing. I see nothing. And I think many of us, when it comes to this area of our lives, we say, I don't even want to look. I don't even want to look at it, because if I look at it, I'm afraid of what I might see. If you're serious, though, and you want to break the power of money, you're going to have to bring somebody in your life that's going to to ask you the hard questions. We're talking about major league Christianity here. We're not talking about the minor leagues now. We're talking about if you really want to get serious about this pull that money... and, And remember, Jesus' point is this is a blind spot that most of us have. That most, and, and we're living in a culture that just accentuates the whole thing. It's okay to be materialistic. It's okay to be greedy. Give a little bit away, but you deserve it. You earned it. Do you have somebody in your life, though, that can ask you hard questions like this? How am I spending the money that God has given to me? How am I going to spend the bonus that I get at the end of the year or when I close this or whatever it is? What am I doing? Do I say, "Oh, good, more money now, I can do this for me"? Or you say, "God, you know, I've got this extra, and I didn't expect it. What would you want me to do with it?" Do you have somebody who's asking you those hard questions? This is meddling. This is right. You know, whoa. <laughs> how much are you depending on it? How much are you depending upon money? You say, "Boy, if I, I, I wish I had more." And you know, you know, you know how much you're depending on it when you have financial, like a a, a big financial. Hit and you go, oh, what am I going to do? It's it's over, we're done, and you and you just you, your your mind is racing, your heart is going crazy. Why? Because your foundation is cracking. <laughs> That's why it happens. And then, how much am I making it my treasure, the thing? And we live in a world that basically says, unless you wear a pair of jeans with a certain tag on it, you're just an idiot. Well, I'd never wear those jeans. They don't have, they're, they're not designer. They're not fashion. And I'd and get that. Or drive a certain kind of a car. or you, you fill in the blanks. I'm not telling you what to do. And, and again, it, it's not me telling you what you should drive or anything like that. This is between you and God. But I'm just asking you, do you have somebody who's asking you those questions? Because one day, I guarantee you, one day, God is going to stand before you and say, "You are my steward. What did you do with what I gave you?" Yeah, I don't want to stand there and say, "Well, you know, spent a lot of it on me." I, 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 I don't want to hear that. And frankly, I think I'm already going to hear that, and I don't want to hear it. And, and I'm just saying, this is Jesus is saying, "You're blessed." Enjoy what you've been given, but think about what you can do with what you have and make extra so you can send it ahead. Treasure it in heaven. Treasure it in heaven. Here's the third thing. We can serve God or money, but we can't serve both. And that that really was Jesus' point to the rich young ruler. He basically said to him, you've got to choose. You have to decide where you're going to place your trust, where you're going to find your satisfaction and where are you going to find your security? What is your love? What is your hope? What is your life? And every one of us, and the important thing to understand is it's not like you right now have, are holding your heart up and saying, I haven't yet determined where I'm going to place it. Every one of us has placed our heart somewhere. It may be in a relationship. It may be in, in status. It, I don't know where it is, but, it, but all I know is that when that gets challenged, when that gets rocked, your life, you'll just like, it's like an a, like a, a earthquake going off in your life. And it's just like, whoa, what's going on here? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there is your heart. It's not like you don't have it placed somewhere. You do have it placed somewhere. And what Jesus was saying to this young man is, I need your heart. You have it placed here. I need you to transfer it to me. Are you willing to do that? And by the way, sometimes we do it and we come to Christ and we have to re- you know, it's that Paul, it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know, present yourselves as this living sacrifice. So sometimes we have to drag our hearts and put it back on the altar and say, I'm back. You know, I'm here. Right? Now, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's significance and security. It's your family or children. It's your status and career. Uh, for some, not me, it may be physical beauty, Right? And it's all about how you look, right? Or maybe it's money in the bank. You say, boy, just, if I, the more money I can have in the bank, the better. You'll do anything for it. You'll die for it. You'll pay whatever it costs. You'll do anything to maintain it, sustain it, claim it. You'll live for it. You'll live for it. That's why Jesus is so adamant about calling this man out, this young man out. He says, you've got to choose, man. You can't ride one foot in and one foot out. It won't work with me. It's it's all in or nothing. Hey, why? Because Jesus is all in for us, right? He was all, absolutely all in for us. Whatever your treasure is, it's going to demand everything from you. Well, how do you break the how do you break the power of money? It was, It's not by trying hard or it's not by walking out and saying, you know, I need to do something or maybe I need to find. It's by looking to Jesus and realizing what He did. What Jesus did was He left His riches. He gave up everything for you. He gave up all of His treasure so that He could have you. You have become His greatest treasure. Jesus treasured you so highly that He willingly gave Himself for you. His treasure. He died. He gave His life to purchase you. You are His treasure when we begin to see it ourselves as his treasure we will no longer when we understand that we're his treasure that we no longer say i wonder if i'm okay i wonder if i'll be okay if god will take care of me if he'll provide for me well wouldn't god take wouldn't jesus take care of his treasure and and you say well well i I wonder if uh, uh, my life is significant, if my life matters, if I, my, my life means anything. Does anybody care? And the answer is, well, of course He cares. It matters. And, and of course somebody cares because He came and He gave up His treasure for you and He loves you so much that He willingly gave His life for you. So it has value. It has significance. I love what 1 Peter two nine says. It says, And it's talking, Peter's talking about those who have come to Christ, those who are in Christ. And he says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, the holy nation, God's very own possession. Or you could say God's very own treasure. You are God's very own treasure. He treasures you. Now, maybe you've never been treasured by anyone, but I want to tell you that when you bow your knee to Christ and you call upon Him, and you, uh, unlike the rich young ruler, say, Jesus, you're my only hope. You're my treasure. I want, I want you. And give me you. And when we give ourselves to Him, as He's already given Himself to us, we become His treasure. And for the, maybe for the first time in your life, you have somebody who unequivocally says i treasure you so much that i would willingly get off the throne give my life for you i love you that much and that will never change there'll never be a day where i don't but here's the problem that we have we question it we have an enemy that says does god really love you does he really care Look at the bad things that are going on. Why? Why wouldn't God want you to be more prosperous if He, you know, we have all those things going on? And I just, and so here's what I found. Now, I got to close here. So when I was a kid, we used to go and visit one of my favorite uncles, my Uncle Jerry, and I have five brothers, and we all, would all go, and he was an artist, and he would do pottery and do glass. And the one fun thing we, we got to do is he had a wheel, and we got to throw pots and try to make pots, and we weren't any good at it. I mean, you know how it goes where you're trying to do it, and you get it going, and then all of a sudden it goes, ooh, 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 you know, and it just... It's a mess. And he'd take the wire and take it off, throw it back in, and try it again. And you try it and try it and try it. Some of you right now are living your lives, and the pot is going like, and you go, What am I going to do? Why, why is it going that way? Why does it always go that way? You say, Well, maybe if I get a different relationship, or maybe if I have more, you know, and it's just, it's all over the place. The pot's ready to fall, it's coming apart. And what my uncle would do when we all got done playing, he'd throw a piece of clay down on the on the wheel, and he would bring it up, and he'd make this magnificent piece of pottery. And you go, "Wow! I didn't know you could do that. That's amazing. How in the world?" And I just want to say to you, what God wants to do is He wants to throw you down on the wheel, and He wants to mold you. You are His workmanship. You are His masterpiece but you've got to let him make your life but here's the problem many of us right now our, our wheel is our, our the way that we're making our lives is just going crazy and we just have to say Jesus your turn that's what he was saying to the young man he says you know You're making your life into your image. Why not let me make you my treasure into what I've decided? Let me close with a quote by Tim Keller because I like like this quote and I think it's true and I think it's a struggle that we face. Every treasure in the world will insist that you die for it, but Jesus died to purchase you. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, this is really uh, tough stuff. This is right at the heart of where we're at right now. This is the front line of the battle. A battle that many of us would say we struggle with at the very least, and some others would say we're losing it. And that's really what it comes down to, Father. Are we willing to allow you To put us on the wheel. To make us into what You want us to be. Do we trust You? Do we think that You have good intentions for us? Because sometimes when You mold us and make us, it hurts. It's not in a direction that we expected or desired. And yet, Father, Your Word tells us that we are Your masterpieces. Help us take our hands off the wheel. Help us to bring people in our lives that can show us our blind spots so that we can conquer this power that money and materialism has over us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
1: Your faithfulness, oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's heart. You lead us by still waters
0: and to partners will be over there, and I apparently I'm going to be at the Roshek from 2 to 5. I thought it was 2 to 4, so come down and visit me because I will be down there all day. <laughs> uh, we have these, these uh, commitment cards. You don't need to use these. You can go online. But I am asking you to make a commitment by the end of October so that we can announce uh, the first weekend in November where we're at. Um, let me just say this. I am not a fundraiser. I really don't like doing that. If you And here's the bottom line. If you feel like this is an important thing and God is moving in your heart, then you'll give, and I understand that. But And I shouldn't have to say, please and all that. I don't really want to do that. But I would just pray that uh, you would let at least ask God, at least open up the dialogue with God and say, what, what do you want me to do? If you do that, I will just be very thankful for it. Let's just pray right now as we go. Father, as we go, may we understand how generous you are. And may we understand, too, that there is a power and a pull that that money and materialism can have on us, maybe more than we'd like to to acknowledge. But thank you that we can have uh, power over that when we release it and we find our treasure in Jesus as he finds us his treasure. Thank you for that, Father. May we go um, and be known as people who love and forgive and sacrifice and are generous.